Okay. You guys ready? Uh Uh-huh. Ready as I'll ever be. Okay, right. Welcome to another episode. (laughs) Check out what my phone can do. Hello and welcome to the Waffling Taylors podcast. Play that funky music, Jay. So uh, for this next bit, I want to try and come up with a jingle or a title for it. But essentially, I would like to ask you both what your most anticipated, your top two most anticipated video games of 2019 are. And Squidgy, you can't say Resident Evil 2 because that would be cheating. (laughs) Why don't we call it the hype train? Well, I guess only two things. I haven't looked too much about games that are being released, to be honest. There's only two things I'm looking forward to, really. One of them is a port. And I'm going to mention the Switch, but I'm only saying it once. It's not going to be another Diablo 3 port, is it? No, because I've already got that one. It's Onimusha Warlords. It's being re-released, and I actually want to get it for the Switch so I can play it while I'm on the move. Because I played that before, and I inadvertently I got right towards the ending boss and gave up. Well, I didn't give up. I just I moved on to other things. I didn't realize I was right near the end of the game. So I actually want to complete it. <laughs> and the other one is Kingdom Hearts 3. Only because there's a Toy Story level. That's it. Yeah. Not because yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so much of your life into Kingdom Hearts already. No, I just want to play the Toy Story level. That and the Monsters Inc. level as well. That's it. But obviously, to play Kingdom Hearts game, you've got to go through nine hours worth of prologue. And the most fun part of Kingdom Hearts. That's right. Every single game, including the mobile spin-offs, are all part of the canon main story. You've missed out on something slightly related to the plot. <laughs> There's going to be beep heavy section here, but if you want a mind f***ery cluster f***, try and go on YouTube and find someone to explain the full story, because no one can. Especially with the story of Kingdom Hearts, you think if you put it in the actual story order, it still makes no sense. If you play them in release order, it makes more sense than putting it in the actual story order. I will say, sticking a link in the podcast chat of a very, 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 very good one by my friends at Eurogamer, who did a pretty good video detailing most of the plot leading up to Kingston Hearts 3, including all the ones from the sad games. I don't know if that would say is the most comprehensive, but I would say that that has got me in pretty good stead. But I will also say that it's nearly an hour long. So <laughs> if anyone's like thinking of watching that, and I'm sure that Jay will put it in the show notes to watch, but yeah, um, I will say that will probably set you in fairly good stead for the plot of the games up until Kingdom Hearts 3. An hour long. Yeah, pretty much. The ones I've seen took over three hours and I still have no clue. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think that's a pretty good one where that they've done it in an hour and you do get pretty much a good idea of what's going on. I don't know if you'd say pe- perfect, but I don't know how I would call a perfect one, given I'm someone who has not really pl- I played a bit of one, even less of two, so I can't say I'm that, but I feel like I'm more prepared for three after watching that than I was before I watched it. So The Kingdom Hearts storyline is another one of those where you need a full wall and bits stick in and red bits of yep. string and all the rest of it. You need one of them, and even after about five days, you know, it's more convoluted than anything. The more you look into it, the worse it gets, to be honest. I'm surprised even the director can keep it straight in his, in his own uh, head. I don't think he did. No, probably not, probably not. Well, those are the two I'm looking forward to. So we've gone for about Resident Evil 2 and Kingdom Hearts 3, really, so I don't really want to pick those two, although those are probably immediately the most obvious ones for one 
that I will pick that we don't actually know it's coming out in 2019. We haven't heard much from it at all, so it could well completely miss 2019, but I'd like to hope it will. Bayonetta 3, I would like to see come out in 2019. I love the first Bayonetta. Really good fun. You know, good punchy, jumpy, slashy. I've forgotten the term for those sorts of games. Action game. Hack and slash. Hack and slash, that's the one. Good fun, hack and slash with the guns and everything. Completely OTT and absolutely crazy in the best sort of way. And the sequel, just good on Switch. Um, I can't say I played it on Wii U, but I played it on Switch when it got the Switch port and I absolutely loved it. And I am very much looking forward to the third outing. Um, obviously, though, we know nothing about it apart from it's now been a year since it was announced at last year's Game Awards. And by that, I mean 2017 Game Awards. So maybe we'll see something on it this year. Maybe we'll even see it released this year. I got my fingers crossed for it, for certain. <laughs> we can but hope. The second thing, I mean, like I said, apart from the ones that I've said that are a bit too obvious, is there anything like specific? I'm just trying to think, really. I'm looking at a list of games that are out. Mortal Kombat 11 a little bit, but we'll know more about that in a few weeks because there's a reveal event for that happening in, in the next few weeks. So I'm not sure if I would say that until I know what the reveal event tells me. But I guess... No, I don't see that coming out this year. Sorry, again, I'm still looking through this uh, list of, of games. I suppose Psychonauts 2 I'm quite looking forward to because I've backed it since it was announced and that is now five years ago now, I think it was announced. And the trailers are looking great. And I've got to the point where I've almost forgotten that, yes, I've backed it and I've paid for it, so I'm definitely getting it no matter what. So I've kind of been ignoring it to a point. But I'm always hyped to see some more from Tim Schafer. He's one of my favourite developers. got such a great sense of humour and his games are just lovely to play and a great story. So I think I've got pretty high hearts of Psychonauts 2 without getting myself overhyped for it to the point of you know where i might be let down by whatever comes out so yeah i, I do think that's going to be a, a pretty good game for, for this year that's more probably my second pick so my hype games now it's been a while but the first one shenmue 3 mm. <laughs> it's taken so long yeah yeah i've been yeah i've been a bit thinking on it since it was announced really i, f- I feel like left it too long now that's it I, like i can't see especially like i say with a lower budget and everything like I think they've missed the boat myself. I was a Kickstarter from like the moment that it was announced. And, I, you know, I've picked a version of the game that will be released. I get a free copy of the game essentially because I Kickstarted it. Yeah. And I get a bunch of extra bonusy stuff. And eventually that will make its way to my house. Presumably I won't have moved by that point, but maybe I will have died by that point. You're looking for your copy of Shenmue 3, so you have to go to the depot and ask for a bunch of sailors who might have your copy of uh, Shenmue 3. That's the ultimate better game. <laughs> You've got to find your copy by asking a lot of sailors. That's literally it. I would love to see it come out, but then by the time it comes out, I know that I'm not going to have any kind of hardware to play it on. <laughs> you know, I won't have a PC that is powerful enough. I won't have a console. I won't have anything. I want it to come out essentially, but I just, I just. They all just accepted the dream had died and that that story was never going to get finished. And like, yeah. Though it's good that it is, now it's like, well, I'm over it now. <laughs> I like, don't really care as much anymore. I'm not invested in that. Two years ago, okay. Yeah, all right, fair enough. One year ago, I was like, ah, just. I've got to say as well, I played a demo of it, but the recent re releases of Shenmue did not endear themselves to me. I was like, I used to think this was good because it's clunky as. Like, oh, it's very mm-hmm. painful to play these days. It's really shown <laughs> its age. It's not aged well. 
I know it's taking a lot of new things for granted and what we're just used to these days in our open world games, but it's really hard to go back playing it now and be like, all these little things just add up and eat away at you until you realise this wasn't a good game. It was Well, it was a good game at the time, but it just doesn't hold up yeah. now in 2018, 19. Kind of like Sonic Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. It was a brilliant game when it first came out, and then you realised, you know, the sheen wore off. Yeah. You, the next morning you woke up and looked at the person that you woke up next to and was like, hmm, maybe not. Kick him out quick. I, th- I think one of the main fears that I've got about Shenmue 3 is I hope it doesn't pull a Duke Nukem forever. Take ages to come out and then... There is no possible way that, for a start, with Shenmue 3, it hasn't really been in production all that time, in fairness. So it's not like... Because the problem with Duke Nukem Forever was that it was actually in production all that time. Mm-hmm. There's a bit more weight behind people's expectations. But even then, I think people are going to be like... Because they've got those rose-tinted glasses of those first two games, they might have a bit... Expect too much for what they're actually going to get and not be able to keep their reactions in check. And those of us that are able to keep our reactions in check and that do understand like the reasons that it was so much, we're still not going to be blown away by it because hmm. at the end of the day, it is on a lower budget. You know, It's not coming from Sega, and it's a sort of... Not an apology, but just more like a... People wanted this game, so we made it, rather than we wanted to make this game sort of feeling. Yeah, mm. yeah, fair enough. Yu Suzuki wanted to finish off the trilogy, which is why he's gone independent with it. Yeah. But then it might be that it's a story that's best being finished in a different medium. Yeah. Whether it's that or whether it's just the fact that yeah, he wanted to finish it, but it just doesn't have the team that he had behind the originals. But like I said, there's also the case of thinking of what made a good game then does not necessarily make a good game now even if he did have that thing behind him. I've kind of got the feeling that the whole premise of the game is just to sort of finish off the story. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It'll be a swan song. It'll be a large portion of the installation will be the movie that tells you the story from the first two. Yeah. Right. And then it will be, by the way, Ryu, for no real reason, needs to relearn all of his martial arts to make you, you know, do it. And then at the end of the game, it'll be, oh, wow, you found the Phoenix Mirror, you found the tree. You've gotten rid of whatever they get. Landy, I think. All of these things are, are rhyming. And then he'll go off and join Sega and start making video games. Yeah. Just, I don't know. I want it to come out because I want that game to just be out. And I have this horrendous feeling that the mainstream media reaction from it, from the video game journalism, the mainstream stuff, so your IGNs, the big ones, those guys are going to rip it to pieces. They're going to be saying, well, you know, it's been, I mean, how long has it been now? 18, it's been 20 years since the first one came out. And then when the first one came out, it had been in development for the Saturn since the Saturn was a thing. It was going to be the killer app for the Saturn before the Saturn was released to the public. So it was in development from like 1994 onwards, maybe 1993. And it took until 2000 for it to come out. And he's trying to squeeze all of that sort of, innovation and development time and story creation time to finish it off into three years and i feel like it's going to get panned and i feel like part of it is going to be unfairly getting panned because it will be compared like you said b to the rose tinted glasses view of the reviewers Mm -hmm. what made a good game back then will not make a good game now and that's why i'm hyped about it i want you suzuki to try and 
because he effectively popularized the QTEs. Now everybody hates that. So in fairness, yeah, that was back when people loved them and that, and then it was other people overusing them that got it where it is now where it's hated again <laughs> exactly so i want to see what he's going to do to innovate you know that's why i'm hyped about it because you suzuki it used i mean i don't know whether he still is now but he used to be a massive innovator innovating in story in technology in video game development i want to see what he's going to bring to the table if it is literally just the end of the story i'll be happy with it if it's the end of the story and some innovation i'll be happy with it but I'm going to be trying to avoid what the press are going to say about it because they're going to they're going to destroy it essentially. Well, essentially, you should get a copy of it before anyone else. You know, you'll, you'll get a copy before major release, so you'll be able yeah. to play it without any spoilers, essentially. Yeah, or hopefully. The other one I'm really looking forward to is I want to get the Catherine re-release. That I think will be pretty cool, uh, just because I really like that game. The neat little puzzle stuff and the. Uh, the crazy storyline and you know it was loads of fun because it was um it's it's another one of them atlas games that's just they come out of nowhere and they're brilliant and it feels like they are a niche developer and i don't mean like they make niche games i mean like the fans are niche groups of people you yeah. know the people who play persona games are not traditionally the same people who play a lot of JRPGs. Yeah, I was going to say, I was quite interested by this Persona 5R, mm. what that turns out to be, for similar reasons, yeah, for similar reasons that you said about Catherine Full-Bodied. It seems they're going through a bit of a phase of not re-releasing, but, you know, like, upgrading some of their existing games. Quite interesting to see what they do with that. Yeah. Mm. That, to me, is sort of standard fare now. Unfortunately, it's standard fare. A developer releases a game for what is at the time a current gen console towards the end of its life, maybe a year or two before the end of its life. And then the new console comes out and then they essentially re-release it, but throw remastered into the title or HD remake into the title, even though the previous console release was in HD. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to find out the differences and what, what they're bringing to the table that, that requires the PS4's power to be able to do. What I will say about like remakes and stuff, I will say I find, from my point of view, when you get towards like the end of a, a console's release, sort of like life, mm-hmm. so where they're going to release the last couple of games for a console before the start, the developer might go, right, we're just going to go for the next gen one. Them mm-hmm. games utilize everything of that console's um, capability and what it's able to do. And I found that some of the best games I've ever played have been late cycle towards the end of that console's lifespan. Some of the best games I've ever played have come from there because they've utilised everything. Well, I mean, by the time that a console is... I'm not saying that the sun is setting on the current gens. It's just kind of how this conversation has sort of gone. But I, by the time that a generation of consoles is coming towards the end, all of the developer tools are pretty much... Um, spot on they're pretty much bulletproof they've ironed out all the bugs they've figured out all of the cross compilation issues you've got um, a company will then have a number of build tools and build engines that work across all of the devices so then you spend less time during a game's development working on the engine and more time working on innovation and gameplay modes and story and concept art and it's more of a free experience whereas you know, uh, when a when a console is new out, the the rush is to create the first experience for the console. Whereas when a console is coming towards the end of its 
uh, mainstream shelf life. It's the race to create the most immersive or the most interesting, you know. Mm. I do think that by the end of this year, the next gen consoles, at least one, possibly both, in, well, in terms of Microsoft and Sony, will be announced. That is my main prediction, I think, for the end of 2019. I think at least one of the next generation consoles will be announced. I don't think they'll be released necessarily until maybe 2020, but I do think it'll have been announced by the end of this year. It's entirely possible because um, Sony, towards the end of 2018, said they weren't going to show up at 2019 Z3. Yeah. They'd said they weren't going to have a, a presence at all. Yeah. yeah. But then if they've got nothing to show off, why be there? Exactly. Yeah. Like I say, I think that either they'll be having an event separate, close to it, that will be mm. close to the date, that will be showing off whatever their new system is. Or, like I say, Microsoft will take the opportunity of Sony not being there and go, is our new console. I'm very confident that the end of 2019, we'll see at least one next generation console be announced. Mm. Yeah. The problem is that the first to announce becomes, and I hate to put it like this, but this is how it worked. The first to announce becomes the Dreamcast. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, we'll always have the two-horse race now. We're never going to have a three-horse race because there is no corporation who has the money. Well, no, okay, that's being unfair to the Switch. Um, What I mean by a two-horse race is a living room-centered, extremely powerful AAA entertainment system. I think for, I mean, Nintendo just do their own thing and they do a Nintendo thing. As long as they can keep doing that and stay in business, that's fine. You know, I don't think they have to necessarily. Yeah. But yeah, I do think it's like in terms of the big consoles, it's sort of a two-horse race. Like it kind of feels like everybody has a PlayStation or an Xbox and a Switch. The Switch always feels like you'll have that as well as a one of the main consoles. Yeah, definitely. The only thing I sort of don't want to see this year, although I've got a feeling it's going to happen, is the idea of sort of games as a live service so what i mean by that is fallout 76 if you've read anything about that it's it dropped in price god knows how many times after it came out the the servers dipped there's no main story to it apart from just gather resources and do the thing it's bethesda going here's an online where you can play with people but there's no actual story to it it was buggy as hell i mean just the pre-order thing where you're supposed to get a canvas bag and they sent out nylon ones but name a Bethesda game from the past 15 years that isn't buggy as hell. What I mean is, at least every Bethesda game that came before Fallout 76 had a story. And it wasn't multiplayer just for the sake of multiplayer, because that's, that's all Fallout 76 is. I know it's buggy, but it's more of um, a creative waste of time, is Fallout 76. Essentially, just go on d- around a bit. There's no main goal to achieve for, and even when it is when they have like Christmas theme microtransactions that are way too expensive with in-game currency, or you have like the in-game microtransactions where everything's way too expensive and you've got to grind like hell for something that isn't really going to help you. Even weaponry and stuff, it doesn't help you in the game. So there's a couple of things to unwrap there and I'll do them real quick. First thing is I would be really interested to find out whether Bethesda track what people do in the games, which is entirely within their remit. Mm. If they see that a large percentage of the people who play Fallout games install the game, maybe install a handful of mods, 
prat about in the in the wasteland and then shut the game off and never actually finish the game or run through any of the big portions of the quests i wonder whether that's why they've done this mm. you you talked about uh, i think you used the phrase games as a as a server Black or a service yeah i am actually legit convinced that that's going to be the next innovation is that you're going to buy a big console and that's going to be your home machine and you buy a game and you download it or you buy a game from the store and you run it on it but the big uh, innovation for home gaming i think is going to be a retry of games on live because a couple of the smaller uh, development houses have tried this already and it is essentially we're, we're at a point where in development we call it software as a service right you can rent an un- or seemingly unlimited supply of compute time in the cloud for ridiculously cheap, right? So what's to stop someone from saying, yo, Amazon, I will rent this much compute time, much in the same way that Netflix does. I will rent this much compute time on a yearly basis and you provide me with 99.9% uptime and I provide the software. And the software is essentially a GUI front end that has all of the latest AAA titles, you pick a title, it runs it in the cloud, streams the video and audio to you, and you stream your controls back. I can see that being the next big thing. It depends how it's implemented. I mean, you've got like the Xbox Game Pass. I buy my games myself. I don't see the point in getting them or streaming them or whatever. But it can happen. If it's done right, it can happen. But Pass isn't streaming, by the way, Xbox Game Pass. I know you sort of like damn you get like um it's like a free pass to download it in it. PlayStation now was the streaming one, even that's now changed that like you can actually download the whole thing, but yeah. The streaming, I don't see it working. It has the potential to work, but there's a couple of drawbacks. First of all, not everyone's got reliable fibre or even internet. So you can't guarantee speeds. Two, games companies, I mean, Bethesda is a prime example, they didn't put enough thought into like the servers. So there's constant connection issues and people just get kicked off and they won't have a chance to save it. So you'd lose hours worth of time. It, it needs to be approached carefully and it needs to have all the bugs ironed out or at least a hell of a lot of them instead of just going, we'll release this, we'll get all the money, the hell with the gamer. You know, we just want the money. Gamers are just, you know, people just wallets. Yeah. Games companies need to give a thought about a gamer instead of let's just please the board of execs. Let's just make money, keep them happy. No, put some effort back into delivering a game and a service to the people who are paying it and using it instead of just saying, right, let's fleece them for as much money as possible. I'm not saying that's what they're doing, but certain practices over the past couple of years, it kind of looks like that. Mm. To me, it's, it's sort of a bit more confidence needs to be built for the try and do that kind of thing. Mm. Confidence back in the developers, because it's not the developer's fault, not the people on the ground who's programming it in and taking the time to try and iron bugs out and they're under heavy constraints. It's the managers and the people above it who are going, right, we need less time on that. That needs to be out. That needs to be done. No, try and iron it out. Don't have like day one patches that are bigger than the game. Try and iron it all out and give a better service to the, the gamer instead of just giving them unfinished product, fleecing them, and then going, right, we're not going to support it no more. Or in essence, you know, that kind of thing. It can work if they approach it right. Yeah. I was going to say about the um, the streaming thing, like right now in America, you can currently stream Assassin's Creed Odyssey through Google Chrome, through their project stream initiative. And uh, yeah, that's been going pretty well so far from what I've heard. Like what Jay says about the streaming future. It's very much already kind of underway, so to speak. 
I'd like to think it might not be just because, like you say, I think I don't think the thing's reliable enough for it to like completely take over. But I can definitely see that being a big part of the next gen, if you know what I mean. Like at, at least a, mm. another way of having your games these days, especially with how well Games Pass and that have taken off since. Yeah, the next two, three, four years is going to be. It's always going to be a single single horse race. Uh, two horse race. Sorry, in the in the console market, we are not going to get any more like a third console is that simple as much as people keep saying bring back the dreamcast two idea and all this kind of, it's not going to happen this feels like this is a really easy sort of thing to say but at this point there's going to be maybe five or six other attempts at breaking into the console market by android device developers essentially yeah. that will go nowhere and it will just attempt to flood the market but because we've got two very, very, very strong players at the top, it's not going to kill the video game market, but it'll look very much like a video game crash. And what will happen is we'll rely on the fact that the two big ones are entertainment systems, entertainment centers, and that Nintendo are doing, like you said, BL, they're doing their own thing. And of course, that's not taking into account the whole thing of Soldier Boy console endeavors, which are definitely going to be the next generation of all gaming and going to take over the world and definitely not going to get hit with a copyright strike as they probably were about two days ago. I mean, wait, what? <laughs> if you found what you thought was a gap in the market and a way to sell extremely cheap stuff for high prices because it's got your name on it. <laughs> I mean, there's a gap somewhere, but it's not in the market. <laughs> but there might be a gap in a particularly large section of his fan base <laughs> yeah it probably was not even his idea it was probably one oh, of his yeah, entourage yeah. who went yo fam and that's about as straight as i can <laughs> essentially what he's trying to do with the games industry is what dr dre did with his headphones i don't know i feel like dr dre put a lot more actual background investigation into doing it before doing it whereas soldier boys mm. just can't I could make a console that can have lots of games, and then you know, at some point someone's had to go to him. Um, you know, you can't because probably there's some sort of copyright thing. Copyright? What's that? <laughs> like, oh dear. You know what I mean? I don't, I, don't, I don't feel like he's investigated it quite as much as he probably should have done before saying something about it. Should be fun, though. See how, see how that turns out. Through binoculars, behind a shelter, watching it all go, you! <laughs> watch it all go bahoonie-shaped. Exactly. I think that's probably going to do it. We've covered a lot of stuff, though, and uh, it'll be interesting to you know to see what folks think in the comments. So always, always, always get in touch with us on Facebook, Twitter, leave comments on the site, all that kind of stuff, because we want to hear what you all think of what we're saying. So in that case, then, so we're, since we're towards the end, B, do you want to tell the folks how to get in touch with you and what they can do and things that you can plug and stuff like that? As usual, you can find me on my Twitter. I'm at the underscore B. That's T-H-E, an underscore symbol, and a letter B, because I like to make things more complicated than they need to be. I mean, it's not as complicated as one of my personal Twitters, which is .NET Core show now. Well. What about you, Squidge? You got anything coming up you want people to check out? Oh, I can think of, really. Fair enough. I'm going to look into ways that we could maybe video stream a game of the Resident Evil board game. Ooh, Just okay. one single scenario, see if we can do it. It will mean that we'll need to invest in some hardware. I've been specking it out. We could do it at the Technodrome and buy some camera recording equipment and stream that. We'd have probably have to use something other than my laptop, 
which is what we usually use for recording stuff, simply because it doesn't have the hardware to do everything. But once we figured that out, we could perhaps do a game of the Resident Evil board game. Maybe we can stream a game and it will be top down. So you'll only see the board and maybe the backs of people's heads as they reach forward to grab the character and move it around or roll a dice or something, you know. Well, I've got the distinct feeling I'm going to end up with uh, scaffolding in the Technodrome. <laughs> it's either that or we glue the board to the wall. Yeah, you take glue near that board game and see where it gets you. <laughs> we, we all get harnesses and play like Matrix style. <laughs> or, you know, you try to take anything towards that board game that's other than your fingers and see where that gets you. <laughs> <laughs> I may have two copies, but I will not resist to hit a bitch with another bitch. Fair enough. <laughs> I will not hesitate to resort to physical violence to defend that ball game. Oh, <laughs> You've been warned. In that case then, what we'll do is we'll end the episode. Definitely check out the website at wafflingtailors.rocks. So that's wafflingtailors. You know how to spell the name of the show because you're listening to it. Dot R-O-C-K-S. Check your podcatcher for links to the website and to the Facebook and the Twitter. Am I correct thinking you have a coffee now? We do. That will be linked in the show notes as well. Essentially, as part of the J&J Media Network, we are asking people if they like the shows that we're producing to maybe consider donating as a one-off donation. You can do it for as little as $3 as a one-off payment rather than a Patreon-style pay-us-every-month thing. And that is literally just going towards hosting costs. There's no other costs involved, just the hosting costs. And it isn't that we're asking everyone to pay the hosting costs, it's that we're asking folks to help out with the hosting costs. So, you know, you don't have to pay for everything, just if you like it, you know, give us a couple of dollars to try and help pay for it. And on top of all of that, head over to your podcatcher of choice, leave us a rating and a review, let us know what you think, give us some feedback. We will have a very public email that I answer that you can get in contact with us about. It's probably going to be hello squidgy at something, I don't know yet, but that would be quite cool to send out the squidgy alarm and get people sending messages <laughs> in. We can maybe read those out during the uh, during the episode. I don't send know. Out a squidge signal. That's it, the squidge signal. But yes, give us a rating and review. I'm not asking for a five-star rating, although if you want to give us one, that would be very nice. So head over to your podcatcher, give us some kind of like or rating or review or whatever it is that you're using. There's a whole page on our website about how to see where you can rate us if you want. We're on Podchaser, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Music, any of those that you use and you have a moment to give us some feedback on there, that would be much appreciated. It's less for my ego. It's mm. more for helping other folks to find the show. Also, make sure you check the show notes for links to interesting stuff for each episode, each part of this episode. I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but we've got about five different uh, ideas <laughs> so far just from listening to you guys waffle on. And other than that, just continue to be awesome into 2019. Tell us what your predictions for the year are. Tell us what your most hyped two games are. If you want to be on the show, give me a shout. Maybe we can figure something out. I don't know. Other than that, I guess uh, I will see you again, B, and I will see you again, Squidgy. And remember to waffle on. It's been a pleasure. Waffle on. Waffle on, people.
intro music is Behind the Lines by Ian Sutherland. Outro music is I Need You Watashi no Sabate by GK. Spoiler break music is Spectrum Subdiffusion Mix by Phonics. See the show notes for more details. The Waffling Tailors podcast is a proud member of the J&J Media Network. To find out more about J&J Media, head over to jayandjay.media or check the show notes for a link.